welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Let's do this! We got a great episode! Today's episode, we are featuring a great guest, a DJ by the name of Prince Eddie P. He is such a cool guy, so you better stick around. Before we get to him, we do have a going viral segment with Chase Doherty, where we discuss the latest scandal with Facebook. More to come, but before we do all that, friendly reminder to please subscribe to the JMS Podcast if you have not already on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on social media, on your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can support JMS Podcast by going to the Patreon account on their website. Every little bit counts. we got three different tiers of rewards, and they're all awesome. All right, before we go on, once again, reminder that you can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com, and you can also check out the podcast uh, website, jmspodcast.com, and check out all the available content right at your fingertips. All right, let's move on to the segment of Going Viral with Chase Doherty. Let's do this. Welcome to another Going Viral with Chase Doherty. What's up, Chase? Oh, hey, Jorge. How you doing, man? Doing good? I- I'm doing wonderful, man. It's been uh, crazy lately, everything that's been going on, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's, the, what's today's topic? Uh, oh, What do we got going on today? Let's see. Um, Facebook is in rough waters, man. Facebook, it's it's been a shit show for Facebook lately. Yeah, actually, which yeah. is interesting because this segment is things going viral usually, <laughs> you know. And in this case, the yeah. actual platform and when things go yeah. viral is mm-hmm. our subject of the segment today, <laughs> and that is the uh, current uh, breach, data breach. That uh, so is it a data breach? Kind of is. I'm not too I, sure if that's the way, best way to describe you it. You know, and that's but Facebook is is in hot water. And to the point where the CEO Mark Zuckerberg is going currently, as we speak, a testimonial, and um, mm-hmm. is testifying before Congress. Yeah, and that's almost a little unheard of, at least for for this you know yeah, industry. Facebook will hold a company-wide meeting today, so employees can ask questions about the unfolding scandal with a political data firm, Cambridge Analytica. This comes after news that the firm gained access to data from more than 50 million Facebook users, which it used to target ads in the 2016 election. That news sent Facebook stock tumbling 7% yesterday, and that is the biggest drop in four years. So let, break it down. What's what's going on and, and what's what's happening? I mean, basically the, the whole scoop of like everything that's happening right now with Facebook, the reason why they're in the they're in the shit show situation that they're in is basically Facebook has been I'll just kinda of give you guys a whole basic underlay of everything that has happened. Um, summarize everything shortly. Um, they've been accused of mishandling information. So information being data. People's information, right? Birthdays, mm-hmm. names, first and last names, locations, things, things along those nature, right? Information that was harvested through an application from users that opted into a particular application service, third party, right? And to opt in is to essentially, you know, sign in. Yeah, like to, to cur- create a profile. Exactly. But, but by exactly. you by you signing in and creating an account, you're essentially opting in to mm-hmm. to an agreement. 
with with Facebook that your information is going to be used for certain things. Exactly, exactly. And this really all kind of came together as far as like a whistleblower uh, from uh, Cambridge Analytica, which is base, which is this company that basically harvests harvests data and information. Well, they're a consulted firm, right? Yeah, and, and firm. they use data mining mm-hmm. to consult. Uh, people in making, I guess, certain business decisions. So Software, forth. yeah, exactly. And Predictions, yeah, all that stuff. And uh, apparently, campaigns as well. Yes, yes. And basically, what happened was uh, someone who used to work for Cambridge Analytica by the name of Christopher Wiley uh, opened up about what the company does um, and the astro- astronomical numbers of who were exploited, actually. Um, so basically, he opens up and saying like just like the inside job as far as like what Cambridge Analytica actually does, and then he also talks about like numbers as far as like who is affected. Um, ranges as far as like what I've seen and what I've read online are all the way up from like a low end of like thirty million people all the way up to eighty seven. Wow, eighty seven, eighty seven million people, and most majority of them are in the U S. Um, and then a uh, very small, like, 10% of them are in, like, other countries, including, like, Asia uh, and Europe. And pretty much they're, they're being accused of using this data for the 2016 presidential election. I, I believe that's the biggest grievance, that they're holding it against them. Basically, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a couple things that, like, with, with the issue that's actually is. Uh, so, I mean, the application itself, I mean, we could kind of start from, like, the bare bones beginning, is the application itself that was actually... Um, you know, created um, by this person that used to work for Cambridge Analytica uh, is an application called This Is Your Digital Life, which was a personality test that basically uh, people were paid to take um, and consented to have their information collected. And the app also harvested information of the other users as well, too, which is why the numbers are so astronomical from like a range of 30 million people. Because Cambridge Analytica basically said, well, we only took 30 million um, people's information, um, but the application itself um, also harvested the information of, like, the user's friends. So whoever opted in for that particular agreement, whoever signed up for those terms and conditions and for, were also for that, paid for it. For that survey? For that survey. Yeah. Their friends, like, Facebook did the math um, because they found that, like, Within those terms and conditions, like people's friends that were, you know, the person who was using the particular application, their friends' information would also be, um, would also, uh, their information would be harvested as well, too. And so it's like, um, so, but they were, uh, you know, I think that's kind of where the conflict arises is that uh, basically they were opting in for the information, but like all these other people, weren't aware of it. Um, now, how was Cambridge Analytica using this information? I mean, it, it's not like it's. I think it was more of like mm-hmm. trying to get information. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the it, the whole issue was, and the reason why it became such a big story, not only one was because of the whistleblower Christopher Wiley came into the picture, but two, also because you know, source released that the Trump administration had teamed up with Cambridge Analytica. Um, to acquire millions of people's data to build software program that would be used to protect and influence voters. Now, what I was talking about earlier, the application called This Is Your Digital Life, that didn't necessarily have any ties or connections 
to uh, you know what the Trump administration had uh, came towards like uh, had came towards uh, you know reached out to Cambridge Analytica as far as like you know this is the information that we need it's just Cambridge Analytica was like kind of the middleman um, to all of this so like Cambridge Analytica you know created this particular platform this application called this is your digital life that's available on Facebook for Facebook users um, that you know consented and were paid for like their information um, and basically and oh, the other issue is is that Facebook had discovered this back in 2015 right. late in 2015 I heard about that yeah is, is that they found out that more, yeah. more data was taken <laughs> yeah than what they signed up for yeah and they contacted uh, Cambridge Analytica and told them to delete the data yeah and they they kind of you know I guess they dropped the ball on not letting their users know. To and I guess uh, Cambridge Analytica uh, allegedly did not confidentiality. Did, yeah, did not you know delete the data that Facebook requested them to. Yeah. So why is Facebook in hot water right now? Like like because uh, here's what I'm because uh, I understand there's the privacy issue, but mm-hmm. th- that's a debate that's happening for a while and not just no, on platforms like Facebook, but for several apps and platforms. Yeah. And to the point where it's like, uh, let's not forget that the information that's on Facebook is information that you, the individual, the user, put up there. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if if, if there's confidential things about my life that I do not want out there, I wouldn't put it on Facebook. Yeah. Of yeah. course, you know. Oh, yeah. Of no, course, no. every individual is different. You know, some people, of course. some people do, does use they Facebook put to put, whole, put everything, whole, whole life on there. story on but, there, man. Yeah, but, exactly. But if you find out that that Facebook is recording all that, can you really be surprised? I mean, personally, for myself, I'm not. I'm not even surprised anymore. Of just like what Facebook knows about a particular individual. I mean, that's but that's a whole different different aspect of it. I think what the bigger issue is, as far as like what I'm able to read on and discover, is that Facebook is in hot water because they didn't let their users know about everything that was going on. Essentially, that's where I feel they they dropped yeah, the ball. That's where they it, dropped the ball. The most. essentially it is doing this, uh, you know, trying to cover it up. Yeah. And, yeah. and everybody knows that the cover-up is much worse than the actual crime. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, however, the, just listening and watching the testimony happen in Congress, Dude. there's a bigger picture happening here. Yeah. And that is a lot of people are coming to terms of what it means to live current in a society mm-hmm. where a social media platform is so ingrained into almost everything you do in life, mm-hmm. whether it's co- whether it's politics, yeah, whether it's you know you know buying stuff or, or, or yeah. advertising, mm-hmm. and I, I just I think uh, I think it's a it's a brave new world that's happening with social media, and where a lot of people aren't are are not really ca- catching up to it. It's like, like the moral standard is like morals is kind of like. Well, I'm, I'm not necessarily morals, but more like it's obvious that you know the people are not fully understanding or aware how social media works. works. Oh yeah, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean the internet itself, man, is like still like it's in early twenties. 
And, and, I mean, let's put that into perspective. Like that's. I mean, right near, right now, it's the pioneering frontier of this new technology being used this way in some oh, ways, yeah. and it's just a little worrisome for a lot of policymakers and people who make the law not being fully aware of that. Yeah. So, so that's where the danger. Where, where I'm like, okay, because the government doesn't know how to regulate it. Well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. If, yeah. if the government, the Congress itself, does not understand it. How can we even entrust them to regulate it properly? Exactly. And, and then it comes down to like, well, how much trust can we have on Mark Zuckerberg? Like, how much of you know? And obviously, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg came out saying it's my full responsibility, and it's our responsibility as the Facebook um, company to mm-hmm. to assess the situation. Yeah. So maybe there is a moral obligation there. Yeah. Knowing, you know, how much power they actually do have and how much, you know, with that power, how much responsibility they really have oh, in, yeah. in protecting people's privacy. Exactly. None of that is really like, uh, none of that comes into fruition until something shitty really happens. And, um, you know, something something like this happens. I mean, I mean, not even just on a social media aspect of it, but I mean, I don't... I look at everything that's like gone on, um, just like with like um, data breaches, like breaches of information in general, right? Like, Which have been happening like, a lot more common these days. Yeah, no, they have. And the, you know what the crazy thing is, is that like as far as like uh, with the world that we live in, we live in such a fast-paced world that like when something happens, it's just like something else happens like immediately after that. That we just kind of forget, like like with the shit that happened at Target, like with all the clients, like you know, debit card and like yeah. all their information that yeah. was breached. Yeah. Target hasn't like recorded any losses as far as like from their consumers or their clients. Like, yeah. if anything, it's like it's very minuscule. But they're still in business. Like they haven't been impacted at all. And then Yahoo, Yahoo, the same. Yeah, there's just there's also Experian, the 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 Experian, the credit, yeah, the credit. Like, yeah. I was like, holy shit! Like people could actually you know steal your credit that way. Yeah. There's a lot of complicated things happening right now. Oh, absolutely. And I do agree that there's a certain amount of maybe of regulation is not the right word for it, but distinct policies for these kind of companies to abide to make yeah. sure everybody's on the same page and security, certain security things could be put in place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's either that, like, regulations and policies need to be put in place or we just as a people need to just like read the terms and conditions that too is, and, and that's the second half of what i want to yeah, go to exactly. is, is we need to take responsibility as Absolutely. well oh fuck yeah of how we use these applications yeah oh yeah you know Absolutely. in some in some ways facebook is a mirror of ourselves that's what we use it for. That's the defin. That's the definition. Of and Facebook. to some, you know, it might be you know a only the good side mirror of ourselves, or we're only mm-hmm. putting. But oh, yeah. by the end of the day, as you're right, there's some responsibility to us, the people who use the applications, not just Facebook, but several other social media stuff, to really you know look into not only how this is affecting our lives, mm-hmm. but how much of our lives are we putting on there. Yeah, exactly. We need to be proactive about like what it is that we consume. Yeah. We can't we can't just be like, oh yeah, no, this is so cool. Like I just accept, accept, accept. Like don't read through the shit. Like 
that's 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 just that's what we do and then um and then when something bad happens we like to just point the finger on mark zuckerberg or, or just anybody else really and and mark zuckerberg i mean i don't know if anyone has had the opportunity to watch the fucking testimony but like when you do watch that shit it's entertaining it's entertaining and yeah. um really just kind of shows like a lot of these like senators and congress uh, congressmen and women that are just out of touch with social I, media and like how it works i don't know if you've had the chance to watch anything yeah, more definitely out of touch at the same time scapegoating them oh yeah no it is it's it's absolutely i think i think a lot of the blame just falls upon um i think it's i'll, I'll go ahead and say it. i think like seven it's like a 70 30 responsibility as far as like consumer end versus like what facebook is yeah i mean if we're talking about just like facebook alone i mean there was like one of the questions as far as like you know the c- congressman i forgot i forgot his name but he was like you know like, like he wanted he asked a question about like the business plan of facebook like how do you guys like make it how do you guys make this much money and stuff like that it was like well i mean we we advertise <laughs> like we do like direct i mean that's that's how facebook was that's how many stuff operate. That's how many. <laughs> that's how many things operate. Like, and um, Twitter, tw- yeah. Instagram, yeah, YouTube, all ads, all ads to like as far as like a revenue stream for these companies. It's yeah. it's 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 nothing else. And yeah. the only way you get those ads, and the only way that like Facebook is able to um, keep growing and keep existing is by uh, innovating how these ads are. You know represented or presented and a lot of that you know comes with innovation and like applications that are available that hey might be like really really cool um at first glance but you got to know like you know what it is that you're opting in for and what you're signing up for yeah um i think yeah it, it just really showed you as far as the testimony goes and really mark zuckerberg was just kind of he was he is the most socially awkward guy definitely to be on a social to be like the social media empire that facebook is yeah (laughs) he's he's the most socially awkward guy i've i've ever i've ever seen um i've actually i don't know if i told you this so i've actually i saw mark zuckerberg in real life oh yeah yeah um he was at a he was at like a mansion party for um back when i used to be you know valet a long time ago um he was he showed up there and um i don't know interesting guy his wife is pretty hot but i don't know uh, <laughs> well good to know yeah well chase we're coming towards the end of the segment what's Man, your final dude. take My, uh, well, what can we take from this thing from this situation oh man well i think we just gotta be i, I mean again as my um, my whole thing is is just being proactive about like what we what it is that uh we use social media for like if you if you want to be that person that like is an open book to the whole world to see uh by all means keep posting away keep sharing those apps keep doing whatever it is that you want to do you know post post away but just understand that you know facebook i mean they're a company so they're in it for the money i mean just like every other company is so like your your information might be out there depending on how much information you put out there mm-hmm. um and you know just understand you know um you know take 
take a time to kind of reflect back as far as you know what exactly it is that you're you're trying to accomplish when you post something or what it is that you're trying to get a um you know a leg up in when you download that particular application and also read the fucking terms and conditions how about that just like i don't know entertain yourself for about like five minutes i mean you stay glued to your phone like uh you know watching youtube and viral videos like for about three hours out of the day why don't you just read a paragraph on these terms and conditions i mean you'll be pretty surprised what you find um and is this uh is this also like the last uh going viral for for the season yeah it is oh third well. season. third season wow so it has been a pleasure uh, being part of this uh, going viral um, with the third season coming to an end. Um, uh, you make it sound like it's a, it's not ending. It's just it's, a break. It's just a break. Sorry. Yeah, I don't just, mean to sound like it's it's coming to an end and you're yeah, not going to see me anymore. Great, it's great. You're not going to hear guys. me anymore. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, just to kind of continue it going, um, you know, if uh, if you if you love these segments and, you know, you want to hear more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting a few things as well, too. And you could follow me on social media um, through Facebook, actually, ironically. At a Jeff- <laughs> if you haven't boycotted it. Yeah, yeah, if you haven't boycotted it yet. Yeah, profile yet. It's uh, Jeffrey Chase Doherty. Uh, you could also catch me on Instagram at Chase underscore 44. Uh, Twitter at uh, JCD Comedy. And uh, Snapchat at a CD Comedian. Um, you could see, like, uh, upcoming shows that I'm doing and just, like, projects that I'm working on. Um, but till next time, guys, I love you all and uh, have a good night. All right. Thanks, Chase, for coming. All right. Let me know how you feel about the latest Facebook scandal by emailing me at jmspodcast at gmo.com. I'd love to hear all about it. All right, our main guest is the DJ. The uh, He goes by the name of Prince ADP. He was a great guy. I, v- I was very nervous when he came on board because I'm not familiar with electronic music. It is not my cup of tea, I must admit. But I know that there's a huge culture of electronic music here in the Bay Area, and particularly in the South Bay. And I felt like this would be a great introduction into it. And I had a great talk. I learned a lot about uh, electronic music. Uh, a couple of things I was a little surprised about. And I feel like uh, this is a very insightful conversation I had with Mr. Prince Eddie P. You can check out his music at Groovesque. All you got to search for is Groovesque at the Mixcloud platform. At the, uh, he also has a SoundCloud. And you just spell out Groovesque. G R O O V E S Q U E. It's very French-like, and he has a, a pretty some great, pretty good funk stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, EDM or electronic music in general, not my thing. But when you hear something that's good, it's just simply good, no matter what genre of music it is. So I highly recommend you check out his music. Actually, this music I'm about to put on to transition to the conversation. It is his original beats original jam see i don't know i don't know the proper way to describe them point is that what you're about to hear right now is from him it's a very short sample of his work and i really hope you enjoy this conversation so let's get to it let's do this here is prince eddie p
P. How did you even come up with that name? Um, I had just two. Um, I think it was kind of given. I mean, it wasn't given to me. I, I just came up with it because I was going by Edio Systems, and it was kind of too long. So people were telling me that I needed to change my name up. Eddie Two Systems. It was Edio Systems first. Uh huh. And it was kind of like um. You know, when I started DJing, it was kind of around 2000, so everything was like... And then coming from the Silicon Valley, I kind of named it after like a systems company, I guess, like Cisco Systems. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I was thinking I was just starting off. So everyone was like, yeah, you need to shorten your name up. Edio Systems is too much. It doesn't really represent what you're about. So I started calling myself um, uh, the Disco Prince, the Prince of Disco, because I love disco music and funky music, house, house music. Mm-hmm. So I just changed it to um, Prince Eddie P, and I and at the same time I was throwing my first parties. So my uh, mentor at the time, my mentor Kenny Kenny May, he was like, "You need to like have a name to where I can see it in lights, like you can see it, like Prince Eddie P or something." And I was like, "There it is, Prince Eddie P." Oh, interesting. So, so you kinda, need to imagine a voice. I mean, a voice, a, a name that kind of has like a physical look to it. Yeah, I mean, he just was like. You're going to be the face of this party. You're going to be hosting and you need a name that's flashy. Like yeah. you need to be like a, he, what do you say? He was like, you need to be like, um, the star. Yeah. Like a star, like he's a, or like a, what is he said? Vague, like a Vegas pimp or something. He said, <laughs> he's not like something just out of this world. So I was like, Oh, Prince Eddie P that sounds great. So I ran with it. Uh-huh. And then after a few years, I kind of started like, you know, coming up with different, um, like figuring out that it was also like for different reasons too like um i consider like like in hip-hop when you're the king of something it's that means that you're like very active like the king of uh graffiti you're 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 active you're all over the place Mm -hmm. or like the king of rap or you know just the king so i'm like the prince because i haven't gone there yet but i'm I'm working towards that and um, stuff like that so the world of djing i'm not familiar with in some ways Musicians kind of see the DJs as the enemy, kind of as as the re- the replacement almost. Yeah. But I believe there's a craftsmanship and artship, like like an artistic side of DJing, in itself, right? Yeah, totally. Like like, what is the process when it comes to like a DJ and their role, and and because I guess in a party essentially. Um, uh, the role of a DJ is. He's basically a selector more than anything, you know. He's kind of dictating the night. Um, uh, these days, it's a little bit different because you only get like an hour set to or before the DJs would have ex- more extended sets, so they would take you on a on a journey throughout the whole night. Um, so you're bas- you're selecting, you know, from start to finish. So it's kind of like you kind of take people on through a journey, and uh, so yeah, I mean, the roles is the best DJs are the best selectors. They know they know music, you know. Um, a lot of times, um, you have newer DJs that don't understand that that's a major part of DJing is the selection. 
and they like, kind of smash like, things together. Like don't just stick with the top forty hits. You yeah, got, you kind of got to dig into the bin. Yeah, yeah. So it's easy to it's easy to to just go to the top ten and pick out whatever is hot right now. But the true skill is actually doing your research and your homework and digging through thousands of tracks just to find one gem. So in you some know. way, the DJ, a, a great DJ, is someone not just someone who selects great music, but is somewhat of a historian and a collector of yeah. music. Yeah, totally. Like, um, like to know the background of this artist and, and this band and what they were all about. Maybe not so much of all just the history and like not knowing every detail. Because like um, my cousin Jay Funk, he he's the one that taught me. A lot about DJing, and he he doesn't even know like names sometimes of producers. He goes by ear. He goes by ear. You know, I mean, it was differently before when we were uh, DJing with vinyl because you would see um, the names on the labels, or you would see certain you would see certain um, artwork. So you kind of like familiarized it with the names. But now, since we're in the digital era, and the music's more, I don't know how to say, not watered down, but there's thousands of tracks coming out digitally every day mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to like attach to a name to it unless that guy's very actively putting out really good music so you know then, then you could be like oh i know that guy because he has like a bunch of hits right now or so you kind of remember it but then there's guys that only have like one good song and then the rest is like some total obscure stuff like they just that's that goes back to like the digging part because sometimes you'll find gems and other Subgenres of house music, hmm. so it's like you can kind of find those gems in there, and then it's like some obscure guy from Italy that you don't even know about. So it's like, but he's he has really good songs. So, what record stores you hit up? Um, well, I I mostly do all my shopping on uh, digitally uh, online on Track Source. Uh-huh. It's like the major. You, you don't online. purchase like vinyl anymore. I still do. Yeah, just for fun nostalgia. Would you go yeah. for that for those? Um, anywhere really, anywhere there's vinyl, I'll I'll, I'll stop by and look through stuff from mm-hmm. flea market, a uh, streetlight records. The uh, one in Campbell, Amoeba. Yeah, I, l- Campbell. I like that one. Yeah. How about Needle to the Groove? Have you been to that I've one? I've never, I've never been there, but it's, it's nice one. It's, yeah, it's nice and comfy spot downtown. Yeah, I definitely got to check it out one day. I've been meaning to go, but I don't really shop for vinyl like as much as I before when I would actually need to shop for vinyl now it's more like I said nostalgia Mm. you know just to go have fun relax or just see what's out there I mean mostly if I dig for stuff it's not going to be for house music because that's what I mostly play Um, it's going to be more for like discos to like um, so I can sample and things like that for my productions original productions or or just to to kind of like fill in my collection because I have like certain labels that I that I like and certain artists that I kind of want to have their whole discography so I'll pick that stuff up and just chip away at that. Now you started like in the 2000s, right? Yeah, I started um actually I think that my official date that I claimed that I've started DJing was when I first went to my first record store in San Francisco. Which one was that one? It was called uh, Clear Music on Valencia Street. And um, it was actually t- uh, Easter 2000. I remember going to my cousins. Um, they lived in Tracy at the time, and they asked my mom if I could go to the record store with them. I wasn't. I was still kind of young, and I still had asked for permission. So she said, "Yeah," and I was like, "This is the greatest thing ever! Like we're going 
to San Francisco to go record shopping for house music and we're crossing over the bridge listening in the house and it was just like this crazy experiment experience so I feel like that was the day that that I truly started the the journey into how'd, my career you know how'd you get it started did you already have the equipment or did you have to purchase those things as well um I started well first my my cousin Jay Funk that I talked about earlier he um he had um he started DJing high energy and hip hop and stuff like that and he was going to raves and and um him him and my cousin Joey they started DJing together and then Joey's little brother Mario Land he was a little bit older than me but we're um he's only a year older than me and we started hanging out together or we would hang out together cuz they lived across the street from my aunt's house so I was just watching him DJ and we were trying to be like our older brothers but Mario, he he was really good at it. And I was kind of like just the little, little brother hanging out. And then finally, like, he taught me after like a long time. I was asking a bunch of questions on how to mix and when to mix or what records to play and stuff like that. And then finally he gave me a chance. And I kind of just took it from there and kept it hidden for my older brothers. Why did you keep it hidden? Because um, I was... Why were you in hiding? I wasn't... <laughs> I think because um, I looked up to them a lot and I was always like I wanted to, I don't know, I feel like I wanted to know what I was doing first, I guess, because I didn't want to do it and then I don't, I didn't want to get, because the way that, that, that they are, you know, they'll, they'll see you doing something and they'll be like, okay, that's cool. Like it's, you know, it's not like a big deal or whatever. Like, so I wanted to like make an impression, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you come from like a Mexican-American family? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah. Of like, like oh, oh, you think you're cool yeah, now? Yeah, you think you're all bad. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, one day, one day he came home and, cause actually I started, I was doing it with Marlon. Like we would go during family functions, we would go across the street and we would mix while, um, they were our our older brothers. They were out. I call them brothers. They're my cousins, but you know we grew up together since little kids. So so tight knit family. Tight knit families, and they would be out partying or whatever, and they would leave their equipment. You know, obviously, they were gone. You know, for the weekend, we were at the little kids, so we would go and and into the DJ room and play with their records and stuff like that. But Mar- Mario Land, he they he was like his mom and and his folks were and his brothers were cool. Like they they were just like whatever. Like go ahead, mess around, and then. Um, like I wasn't allowed to like get on J Funk's equipment and stuff like that because uh-huh. he was just you know like the older bro and like leave my stuff alone and don't hang out with me too much you know uh-huh. cramping my style I was always trying to hang around <clears throat> see what they're doing but um I started taking his records and he didn't he didn't know like I would I would or I would get on his equipment when he wasn't yeah sometimes like I would get on when he, when he had it set up. And one day he caught me, he came home from record shopping in San Francisco and he like opened the garage door and I was in there DJing and I was like, oh my God, like I got caught. So he was like, all right. And I was like, no, I, I swear to God, I, I'm not like messing up your stuff. I'm not going to break it. I can do it. I can do it. And he's like, let me see what you got. And I did a mix for him and he was just like, okay, that's cool. Like, wait, hold on. You know? So when you say a mix, <laughs> we're still talking about like a vinyl here, right? Yeah. And a mix is when you smoothly transition songs yeah, in when between. Yeah, when you're blending two records together. Yeah. Is that do you, do you feel like that takes like how hard is it? I don't know. Like, it's pretty hard because you got to have some hand-eye coordination and you have to um you got to have, you know, you got to be on beat. So you got to and you got to know your counts and stuff. 
And I didn't know that at the time. I just thought like you just mixed in wherever, and as long as the two um, kick drums were aligned, yeah, then you're fine. That's interesting. But um, I later found out from like watching videos and studying like home videos of them DJing. I was like, oh, that's where they do it. They do it um, towards the end of the song. They let the whole song play, and then towards the end of the song, um, before like there's like usually a breakdown where it like where it kind of like gives you a, a, a chill spot in the record where it kind of because it, it's a, it's driving music so there's usually like a part towards the there's a few parts in there where it, where it slows down to give people a break on the dance floor so it doesn't get too like repetitive and tired out right so this is like house music electronic yeah, house, music. house music yeah house music got it yeah so, uh, so it's like the second break there's usually like two breaks maybe three the second break is where you mix really hmm. you know I mean it just depends what kind of style some people only mix the first the beginning and they just keep like power mixing they'll just play the first um, part of the record and then keep it moving but the way I was taught is like you let the whole song play out which is more like uh, the disco side of doing it like ext- like long mixes that's the traditional way yeah well I mean it just it just depends there's different there's different traditional ways but just certain certain areas in certain regions they play they just mix differently and I guess ours from years later we found out that um our style was more like New York style where they would actually play like like New York disco style or or like um, San Francisco house music style where they play the whole record and it's like a long blend. So it's like more of a smooth continuous mix. You don't really know if it's mixing or not. That's, a, that's interesting. I yeah. never knew that there was like a regional style yeah, there's different, of DJing. Yeah, there's different styles, yeah. There's like... I, it, so you're telling me that the Bay Area has their own distinct style of DJing? Oh yeah, totally. And how, sound of music and everything. How would you best describe it? Um, from just learning the history and stuff, I, I found out that it was a more of a it's a melting pot of all the regions, because um, house music uh, originates, it has its roots in New York and Chicago. Um, so San Francisco is like a blend of both those cities, I guess, because in the '90s, '80s and '90s when DJs were moving out here from different parts and starting the rave scene out here um there was djs from all over the all over the um country and some in the world too so different djs would bring their sound over here and their style Mm -hmm. and it kind of melted into um the west coast sound which is a little bit of everything it's it's music new york house music it's called garage in new york Mm -hmm. um so it's more musical very musical new york you know very percussion heavy chicago's more raw sounding uh, sample based house music with the hard driving thump. New York has a more of a lighter kick, but it's still very um, bass heavy. And then when it came to um, San Francisco, it's it's a little bit it's it's kind of like knocking, kind of chugging, kind of musical, but laid back, smoked out, kind of you know dubby, you know San Francisco style, basically West Coast. Did the introduction of like you know uh, dubstep change the game for you guys? Um, no, not really. I mean, dubstep's been around for for years. Dubstep's been around for for as long as house music, but they just it's it, they, it was just you know it wasn't as popular, I guess. Uh huh. But it's been around. I know DJs from the '80s they were doing dubstep in the '90s and stuff. Really? Before, yeah. I don't know because it comes from drum and bass. I think from what I know, it comes from drum and bass music. Because really, it's like slowed slowed down um, drum and bass. 
Mm. If you slow down drum and bass, it's like, you know. You get that effect? Yeah, you get that effect, which is, you know, those, those drums, like the syncopated drums and all that stuff. Because Skrillex, right, he's like one of the primary people who got pretty famous from dubstep. Yeah. Uh, he was, he kind, of, he kind of started that in San Francisco, didn't he? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know any of it. Not your thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know of him, but I'm not, I don't know, you don't know too much about How about scratching? How, like, did do you know how to scratch? Is that a thing that um, people still do? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, one of my best buddies, he's um, his name is DJ Traps. He actually won um, the um, what is it called? Uh, he won a major scratch competition. Oh, it's called. Um, There's scratch competitions. Yeah, the DMC. How does that work? The DMC. It's been around for years. Is it like uh, like they they go head to head? Yeah. Yeah, it's been going on for years. And whoever's off beat loses. No, no, no. I mean, you have you have uh, sets and stuff, so you have like it's like a performance. You know, they kind of have their set. There, it's called a routine. So they perform the routines and they get judged on that. And he actually went all the way to. He's been trying um, to win it all for like the past couple of years, and he got close. Like two years ago, he went and won the United States, and he got to go to London to battle. Um, some guys from Brazil and Tokyo and he and I think they like he just got beat out by a little bit or something but we feel like he got robbed <laughs> <laughs> how does a, a DJ set uh, judged like how, what what do they look for I'm not sure I mean for scratching I think it's I'm not too sure but I think it's you know tech tech like the technical and stuff how technical you are or how, how the crowd reaction and stuff like that but I'm not too sure mm-hmm. exactly yeah, I don't. You know, before before they said it was, you could mi- like it was more of a mixing competition, blending records. But then somehow it kind of like extended into just the scratching part of it, not so much of the, the mixing. Because lo- some of the old house guys were in those competitions too. You know, before it kind of. All right. So you, to its own thing. So you got started with with DJing at a, at a young age. How old were you? Um, I was fifteen. 15. Yeah, 14, 15. So, you know, he's teaching you how to DJ your, your older cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was the game plan? Like, what kind of places were you DJing at? I wasn't DJing anywhere. I was just, um, I was trying to be, I was trying to hang out with them. I was just trying to be cool. <laughs> uh, they were throwing parties. They were throwing rave parties um, around that time. And I was just, just too young to go. And then eventually... Um, I finally begged my mom to uh, let me go to the <clears throat> to the gigs with them, to their shows. But the way that I got to do it was because they told my mom that I was going to help them with the events. So I was doing parking and uh. running concessions and running the door and all that stuff. So that's how I got oh, so to go. These are raves and actual venues. Yeah, these were like raves down in Gilroy or Morgan Hill at this place called the Pumpkin Patch. It was okay. called it was dubbed the Pumpkin Patch. They had a few parties there for a few years. Is it out in the field? Yeah, it's like out in the field, mm-hmm. in a barn. It was like in a barn and stuff. I know there's some raves that happen like in the like Santa Cruz forest and shit. And yeah, there was all kinds of things going on at that time. I kind of caught the tail end of it. Um, I, I'm I'm lucky that I caught that they were doing that at the time because I got to experience it through them. But if I if I wasn't if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have experienced it because I caught it at the very end. Of its peak, because after that it kind of turned into something else. It got more commercial, and for a while it kind of died out in the 2000s because of like a lot of 
you know, the media. It was mostly the media saying that, you know, these parties were going on and people were overdosing and they just put a, a bad spin on it and it kind of killed that whole um Did that you guys have to deal with law enforcement? Um, Breaking up sometimes, parties? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the sheriffs would come and... But they were usually cool about it. We would turn on the music and they would talk to the, the sheriffs and they would leave and the party would go on again and mm. stuff like that. But nothing nothing too crazy. I wasn't there for the par- the parties that got raided. I was <laughs> there was a few parties that got raided by the sheriffs and stuff and they broke it up and they were trying to dismantle equipment and trying to take their records out of there before, you know, they they got confiscated and stuff. But I, I missed out on those parties. And uh, so, for for your teenage years, you went to these parties. Uh, what what kept you DJing? You know, because you know it's one thing to learn something when you're when you're a teenager, but some people outgrow certain things. I just I fell in love with it from the beginning. I think it was just because my cousins were into it, and I always wanted to like. I think whatever they would they would have done, I would have probably followed in their footsteps because. You know, if there would have been graffiti writers or rappers or I just wanted to always be like, they were cool. You know, they were hip to stuff. So I wanted to be just like them. And um, so what what kept me going was just the love. Like I fell in love with it. But it was like even before when I was just hanging out, listening to my first mixes with Mario um, in his garage. There was just certain songs that I was just like, what? This just makes me feel good, and I want to know more about it. And it kind of just started going from there, and I started getting deeper into different things. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like, it's it's happy music. It's it's talking about love, and I don't know. I was yeah, at a young age. I was just intrigued by it for some reason. The soulful sounds, the pianos, and there's like flutes and just like cool stuff. You know, it wasn't. So you were diversi- You're diversifying your palate in some way. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked hip hop and stuff like that, but for some reason, like house house music really called me, and and yeah, that's all I've known for like the past you know twenty years. Is <laughs> like cool cool house music. Um, Who were some house artists that you were listening to that influenced you? Um, at that time, yeah, I was kind of at so so in the two thousands. That's like the the peak for it was it was kind of like uh, the peak for for house music as. Um, like kind of per- on the commercial level, I, w- I would say there was a lot of big records out at that time. Like a lot of the house classics come from that late '90s, 2000s. So I was following artists like um, Armand Van Helden or Daft Punk, um, Majo. A lot of the French French house music. There's like a big scene in in France. They created their own sound. That's where Daft Punk and all them come from. But um, I was influenced by by that sound a lot. Like a lot of the the big commercial artists at the time mm-hmm. um and so yeah i just like bob sinclair um yeah just many many artists from from that era that they were making big records like big they're like songs you know like modern disco almost and that's what intrigued me the most was like those those songs because they had like a nice catchy sample and they had vocals on them like they had a singer on them so it was it was very like I was. I want to be just like them. Like they're, they look cool when they're DJing. They're wearing cool, cool stuff. They're they're playing cool beats. You know, they're traveling the world. It was just very intriguing. As a little kid, that's that's what I wanted. To like I looked up to them. 
How'd you get your foot wet when it comes to DJing in front of crowds? Uh, so J Funk's dad was he kind of started DJing because of J Funk. Who's J Funk? That's my older cousin that older I talk about. Yeah, he's my older cousin, my brother, and his dad started DJing. So you come from because a of lineage him. of DJs. Well, not not not. Well, his dad was DJing. Kind of got he J Funk kind of got his dad going. Like DJing and stuff, because my uncle's always been into music and stuff. We was always having like parties, house parties and stuff, and you know, from from when they were back in the day and stuff, they were always throwing like, um, yeah, just throwing just throwing cool cool parties at the house. And he was always into music and stuff. And I think that he kind of got inspired by his son, so he started like he bought tape decks and he was doing like little weddings and stuff like that. And he kind of kept going from there. Mm-hmm. So when I got old enough. Like I was, I, I learned how to DJ, and then um, I wasn't old enough to hang out with Jay Funk and them and go to parties. So uh, Mario, the my cousin that taught me how to DJ, he he was going with my uncle and he was playing with them. And then so they gave me the chance. They're like, okay, in the next, I was I was a roadie. I was going with them to be a roadie. Mm-hmm. And then at one um, quinceanera, they were like, okay, get on, you know, like. How did it feel? Mario was like, I think you're ready. And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm ready. He's like, yeah, just play. Like, here's the set. Like, he already planned out a set for me. He had, t- like, 10 records already in order on how to, and what order to play. So I got on and I played and I was just like, I rocked it. I rocked it. It was a cool quinceanera or, like, some kind of family party at a hall. And it was cool. I played a bunch of, like... They were underground, and then they be like first the the music becomes it's like underground first, and then it becomes like radio after it gets popular. So I played a bunch of those ones, and then I got like a good reaction. I was like, all right, this is when you start some hits. Yeah, I was playing a bunch of hits, and like I was playing Daft Punk and um, Stardust. Uh, music sounds better with you, and you don't know me. Like basically all the house classics that are classics now. Back then they were commercial so nobody really wanted to mess with them but at the weddings they still kind of worked so i I did those and um yeah that's that's kind of that was like my 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 breakthrough like i was like okay i can do this and then from there i just started going every weekend with them doing quinceaneras and and baptisms and weddings and baptisms yeah oh like not not in church right no 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 like you know the parties and stuff like that Mm -hmm. how's that feeling like when you like you know you put on these music and you see these people on the dance floor dancing away um because i'm sure there's a bit of like you know you know a sense of control i guess like oh my god these guys are these people are dancing to like in some ways an extension of my taste of music yeah yeah um it's a good feeling um if then it was I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's it's cool to just see, you're you're you're. It's like a rapper. It's like an MC having a con- control of the crowd. You know, um, you're you're dictating how they're feeling, their vibes. You know, you might um, you you study the crowd. Then then I didn't know so much about that when I was doing it. I was just playing like the order of records my cousin taught me. He's like, play these, this, and this, and they're all hits. So they're, it's gonna get a natural reaction from everybody. They're gonna love it. Mm-hmm. But um, now it's it's a little bit different. Now you have to kind of s- study the crowd and um, know what kind what time you're playing at. Like it all it all matters. Like if I'm doing an early set, um, you're gonna play different than when you play a later set. So 
Hmm. But you gotta, you just gotta be aware of, of people. You gotta keep your head up and engage with the crowd. You can't be so lost in your in your own little world and stuff. So, um, it's cool, man. It's, it's you, you, um, you're you're taking them on a journey. So, <clears throat> it's just it's always it's always different. You know, it's always different. I always play. Um, I never really play. I never have like a pre like a preset, like a set already set up ready for the night. I kind of just go with how I'm feeling, or you know, and you kind of just you know kind of go for. Sometimes I make mistakes, you know, and it doesn't work, and I'll clear the dance floor. You what's know, a, what's like the <laughs> biggest mistake you've done? Um, well, probably playing like the wrong record at the wrong time. You know, like when what? it's when it's Do you like remember? Uh, any no. specific scenarios. No, not any specific, but I mean it happens. You might you might play something that's well actually no I do remember um, starting starting off sometimes I wouldn't know that you had to start off your opening set differently than a prime time set so I'd come in rocking already at nine eight, at nine p.m. when the clubs op- just open mm-hmm. there's nobody there and I'm like bumping hard you know up tempo and then people would be like dude what's what's up with this guy like he doesn't know how to dj or <laughs> he's what? going hard yeah he's going hard and i'm like no that's just how i play like it's all good like and it's like no it's not cool like you gotta you gotta kind of like ease people into it they're just getting to the bar they just came from dinner they're drinking uh-huh. so you kind of keep it mellow around a certain time you start kind of turning it up turning up the sound you start getting it a little bit more pumping by midnight you're supposed to be rocking already you know from midnight till two. How can you tell when it's time to rev, rev it up? You could kind of that's like studying the crowd. You could kind of see people, um, how they're feeling. You yeah. know. I figure you throw in a specific record at so you, them, see how they react to it. Yeah, I mean sometimes, I usually, we usually like um, like my cousin says, you don't want to blow your whole load, right? You just kind of like, you want to keep your hits for prime time. <laughs> All and right. you kind of just give people the um, the yeah. okay tracks and stuff at first, like the cool mellow stuff. Right, you got to make love to them. Yeah, you got to exactly, exactly. Right. That's a good point. You can't, yeah. you can't just hit it and quit it. You mm-hmm. got to make love. You do. That's what you, that's what my we always talk about. That we're always like, dude, you got to make love to those those people on the dance floor because it is like that. It's intimate. You know, they're right there. You're close to them. They're and you could see it when people. You could see that you know that vibe because they're like. They're all kind of being shy and they don't know and have a couple more drinks. And then you got to hold their hands, tell them it's all going to be okay. All of a sudden, you see like people start getting into it and you're like, okay, there we go. Here we go. They got a couple drinks in them. We're rocking. And then you just start giving them your, your, you know, just go full throttle on them. And then boom, all of a sudden, people are making out on the dance floor and they're, you know, having a good old time, getting their freak on. And then, then you got them. You know, and at that point, you gotta like hold them there because you can also play like some real boring song and kill the dance floor, or play something. Has that happened to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's happened. Mm-hmm. I try not to, you know. Right, right. But you know, I'm not. You can always win them back, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes, you know, people just get tired and they need a break. They need to go to the bar. And if it's not a busy party, if it's not like popping. They don't kind of look like the dance floor emptied out, but they're just getting a drink because you're, you know, you're rocking them. So they'll mm-hmm. be back. Now, how do you deal with people approaching you for like requests and so on? Oh, that's just—is that a no-no for you? Yeah, it's a no-no in, in the house music, in the house music game. Um, how do we? 
We, I mean, some people take do it differently. Some people are jerks about it, and they're like, no effing request or whatever. They get all crazy with the, with the patrons. But I kind of just learned over the years um, to just be like, I'm not playing that tonight. You know, it's just, this is house music, and kind of just explain to them real quick because you're busy working. You know, and they're kind of bothering. You know, they're kind of like you're trying to stay focused. Trying to stay focused yeah. and. And, you know, they're kind of taking your focus off and you're trying to concentrate. So I kind of just politely tell them, you know, this isn't, this is, this is a house night. And, um, if I have something similar, like if you want like a Britney Spears song or something, I don't know. Yeah. She's kind of like old school now, right? She's not really doing anything, but you know, some, something, something new, like a Justin Timberlake song or something. I'm like, oh, I might have that Justin remix. I'll play it later. What's well, like the you weirdest know? request you got? Weirdest request? Um, probably like some... Like during a set, just some something for hip hop or like some kind of like pop song, and I'm just like, well, I don't know, I might not have it, but you know. Hmm. But it's it's cool. Like I usually keep some some remixes in there from commercial songs. Sometimes there's some good stuff out there, so I'll keep that I'll keep that in mind just to have in in my book, just in case somebody asks. Hmm. Or there's been times when people request some like house stuff, you know, and you're like, oh wow, like you guys know about it. I might not have that song or they want EDM. Mostly a lot of the the requests now are EDM because it's very popular. Mm-hmm. So be like, well, I don't really have that. I, ha- I have songs from when that guy was actually doing house music. You know, <laughs> now he's doing EDM, but I'll play you some of that. And, uh, you know, so it's it's just, it's cool. I mean, at, at this place we uh, DJed at, it was called the, Car- the Cardiff. Um, well, we still DJ there, but before they used to have a big uh, no request sign with the finger pointing at you so that was easy we would just point to the sign <laughs> and then people would just be like oh okay the cardiff that's in campbell right yeah it's in campbell uh and you also dj at the continental right yeah um i dj there sometimes too um my friend um arturo and eddie house they have a weekly called rhythm ritual there every tuesday so they'll bring me on as special guests maybe like once or twice a year nice so yeah blessed to have those gigs for sure tell me about uh Groovesque. Recordings is that right? Yeah, Groovest, Groovest recordings, Groovest promotions, Groovest. You know, it's 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 a it's it's a brand. I don't. I'm still trying to figure out. Like, I mean, it. it, it I don't really want to label it anything. I feel like I've been trying. I've been struggling with labeling it. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, at first like identifying what it is. Yeah, because at first it was supposed to be a record label. Like that was my dream is to start up a record label. So you thought about you know producing people. Yeah, producing, producing music. Yeah, putting my own stuff out. It was just gonna be an outlet hmm. to, um, cause I, uh, we would always, we would always try to put music out on labels and stuff, and and it didn't really fit their sounds, cause every label has a different sound, you know, they go for. So I told Jay Funk, let's start our own label, and and we'll just put on our own music, and it'll be our outlet. And then at one point, it just kind of, um, well, we're like. We so we start we we just started like oh it's Groovest Groovest and we kind of just had it there and because my the original crew that I come from uh, J Funk's crew it's called Funk Lab and that's that's the guys that were throwing the raves and all that stuff but at the same time it, it, that that was a collective it was it was a um it was hip hop house music but they had like graffiti writers at MCs at scratch DJs so that was like a more of like a hip hop culture crew. So when I started Groovesque, I was like, well, I want to start my own crew called Groovesque. Um, and it's just me and J-Funk because we do the ho- the house part of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
and um from there yeah so we started and i kind of just had it around and i never really it, it was it was what i was putting on flyers just to identify me and my my own, my own crew and stuff like just to start a um a new crew i'm more focused towards towards house and uh so i mean we we kind of we never really like put out music through through the label we we just we just started just throwing parties and it became like a crew you know mm-hmm. and now, it, now it's, it's just like we do so we do many, many things we, we we still make music we still haven't released anything but those that's coming up soon we're, we're working on that but we have like t-shirts like apparel and we throw parties and are you, you guys know, primarily like south bay based um i'd say yeah i mean we're all based in, in san jose but we do a lot of things in san francisco and oakland and around the bay and trying to expand you know how would you best describe the current landscape in uh djing here in the south bay uh the current landscape uh for house music yes um it's not as it's not as i mean it, it's cool it's we have a cool little vibe down here it's it's very connected it's a, it's almost like a family like we actually have a scene in san jose i feel like hmm. um san francisco not so much because it's so so diverse there's people from all over the place it's like kind of kind of clicky but uh, san jose does have like it's it's small enough to where you can call it like a scene and we all you know kind of go to the same parties and stuff because not too many things happen but um it could be better it could be better what are some of the challenges do you feel um the challenges i don't know if i should talk about this stuff it's kind of controversial <laughs> what is well i mean it's just kind of like it's it's it, it, it it's connected but it's also kind of clicky too like i'm not gonna say it's not clicky um the whole scene in the bay area is clicky everyone has their own crew you know everyone has their own production company their own label and stuff and they kind of keep to themselves hmm. so i feel like i've always felt like it could be a little bit more connected um, I always reference the the French sound, the um, in the 2000s, the the French house guys. They were all very well connected, and they kind of. Um, I used to have this map that came with this record. It was a compilation of French artists, French house artists, and they had a map on showing how connected everybody was. Like they all collaborated with, yeah, with each was, other. Yeah, different projects, throwing parties, DJing. Right. I always thought that that was great. Like, wow, look at the French guys. That's why they they pushed forward and had all those commercial hits in the mm-hmm. 2000s 99s 2000s they were they're super connected so i've always felt like we could be more connected like that we could be do you feel that it's a little too competitive yeah it's considering very, it's too it's still a small community yeah yeah it's very competitive mm-hmm. and i always tell people it's not a competition there's plenty of money and there's plenty of gigs we can all work this out but for some reason you know i mean is it about like, territory essentially about like certain venues sticking with certain DJs or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, well in San Jose, it's kind of what, what's going on right now. It's a lot of, um, it's like a lot of the same DJs, like the club owner. The there's only like a few clubs in San Jose that really do house music, you know. Hmm. Um, Cardiff and Continental. So there's just not enough venues in general. Yeah, really. I mean, and if they there is, they kind of don't give you a chance on on the house on the house tip like you got to have already like a huge following or they, they only give you a few dates and if you don't pull then they they, they kill your night you know mm-hmm. so and those clubs that i just talked about they have their set guys already that they've been playing you know 
so it kind of doesn't allow for new DJs to come in and, and try to start like a night or something like that mm. without having to go somewhere else and you know work what's, with trying to what's build a something up possible solution do you think that could help out the community I think we just need to be more open and work with each other you know mm. um, I, f- I feel like um, I, I run with the, like I have my own crew and stuff and my own sound but I, I pretty much mix with everybody else like I, I got love for everybody in the scene I think we could work with each other more I think that some at the same time like I feel like certain artists and house music and stuff they're kind of like introverted and and they kind of like keep to themselves you know they're all like lab rats and stuff they they hang out in the studio and not very too social hmm. um so it's just it's just you know I, I feel like we can work with each other more and kind of I've always felt like because San Jose has like a cool house history so I always felt like we can take that and uh, build on that and take it to the next level and be be, be a force in the house music community I didn't know that yeah well, what does the San Jose house history start um from what I know like late 80s 90s it comes from modern rock high energy DJs and stuff like that and um and hip hop DJs and stuff like so so they started uh yeah, I mean, at at some point, because San Francisco, San Jose has always been the little brother to San Francisco, and that's where like everything would come out through first, you know. That's a controversial statement to some so, people here. Yeah, some yeah, exactly. <laughs> some people get a little butthurt about that. They do, but I mean, San Jose does. I feel like San Jose has the the soul, and and it, it and actually, a lot of it comes from here, and then it, and then it gets overshadowed by San Francisco. Okay, I feel like the best. It's kind of controversial to say, but the best house DJs come from San Jose. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And they move out eventually? They move and on? And they move out, yeah. They move on, and then they don't claim San Jose. Really? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. There's world-class DJs that have come from San Jose. Really? Time. Like yeah. who? Uh, DJ EFX, um, uh, Mustafa, um, a, lot, a lot of the guys like JJ, uh, Miguel Miggs. He's from Santa Cruz. Um... Julius Papp, Rick Preston, uh, DJ Spun. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, lots, lots of. There's a lot of uh, talent. Guys started from San Jose. Mm. You know, and they they did they did their thing worldwide. Um, yeah, even even some of the guys that are out there rocking right now, there there's there's some guys out there um, on the worldwide tip. They they come from San Jose too, but you know. You kind of get you kind of get it have to get out of San Jose though to to take it to that next level. Yeah, it's quite a challenge. So, I think it, yeah. across the board for any real uh, creative endeavor, whether it's music, um, not maybe not art, but definitely in comedy, in a variety of other performances. Sometimes you need to make a name yourself, not just you know here, but also in other places to really break through to the mainstream. Yeah, totally. Which kind of makes sense because you you need to put your music out there. You know what I'm saying? You need a, a high quantity of, of listeners <coughs> of some kind. Yeah. Um, tell me about your your involvement with Collide Gallery. Um, that's just kind of like a hangout spot, it's central. Um, my my friend, uh, my good friend Force One Two Nine, uh, started working there recently, and um, we used to work together a lot a few years back, and um, we kind of reconnected, and it's on the way home from work, so I just stopped by and. 
It's actually like a cool networking spot, central, you know, and a lot of people come through there. That's where we met, right? Yeah. We met there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Every time I stop by, I always run into somebody or meet somebody new, and it's super cool. Hmm. It's super cool. Do you do any art yourself? Uh, just just a little bit, just messing around a little bit for fun, for therapy. For therapy? Yeah, just, you know, kind of get zen with it and clear your head. <laughs> it's like doodling, cool. sketching, uh. you know, messing around. Fernando's been, or Force has been pushing me to to get a little bit more more into it and stuff do we do you mind if i ask what what the, what you need therapy for um just you know just from clear mind from daily stuff you know hmm. just the small things in life that you kind of you get kind of too much sometimes so you kind of got to clear your head and, and you know just for just so relax, like a, relaxing like a form of meditation yeah just a form of meditation uh-huh. mm-hmm. is there a specific style of art that you're, you're working with no, not really. I'm influenced by graffiti, so I'm using like a lot of spray paint and paint markers and stuff like that. But I've been doing like Japanese maple, not uh, Japanese blossoms, like cherry blossoms and like Zen stuff. Like, you know, um, it's interesting. What attracts you attracts you to cherry blossoms? I don't know. I mean, it, they're just really pretty, and they're, there's a lot of them in San Jose, so I think it's just yeah. Okay, we've got a big season. Japanese uh, community here. Yeah, but it's interesting, like a. Uh, because the cherry blossom, you know, it's pink, it's fluffy, and it was like a, the sign of the samurai. Really? Right? Oh wow! So it's like uh, it's interesting, like yeah. you know, the history of it. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, and, oh, actually, what got me going? Because I, I, I mean, I've just been messing around, thinking about doing certain certain pieces and stuff. But um, I think some lady was at Collide talking to Fernando about. Um, doing some projects for the sister city which i think is okinawa japan for san jose it's the sister city of, of san jose interesting so, okinawa okinawa yeah Int- uh, you sure I- interesting okinawa i think so it's a pretty big city yeah okay or are you yeah i think it was okinawa and um she was yeah she was talking about it so the next when we were in the studio that night i, I started just started painting cherry blossoms i was like yeah from got a rep east side okinawa or, or something like that <laughs> and uh so i started i started playing around with that stuff and then is that um, where you just is that where you grew up on the east side yeah east south side yeah my aunt lives on the south side so by evergreen yeah i was in evergreen what high school did you go to silver creek silver creek oh yeah. interesting yeah i went to silver creek how how was it going to Silver Creek? It was cool, man. It was very diverse. Um, there was some. I mean, you were DJing at fifteen. Did people at school knew that you DJed? Um, a little bit. I was kind of like skateboarding at the time too, just kind of skating around. I was hanging out with all the skater and punk kids, but I always was like doing house music and hip hop stuff on the side. You know, just kind of did, doing that too. Did you have to keep it hidden sometimes? No, no, no. The, the the house was accepted with the punks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, my my friend, my best friend Lenny at the time. Well, he's still my best friend till this day. Um, he's actually uh, one of my partners, production partners, and and um, Groovess. He started doing house music after. Um, I mean, he's like a punk metal guy, and he started doing house because of me and stuff. So. But he, and he took me to my first record stores because he had a car and all that stuff. So I was hanging out with him and all the punk kids and all the metal kids. But mm. I was always doing house and hip hop. That was my jam, mm. and a little bit of that stuff, like listening to punk and going to shows with them and stuff like that. So, did house music change? I feel like it has changed a bit. 
yeah i mean it's still it's still there the classics are still there but um it's it's everyone thinks house music is edm right right but, but edm's yeah. just like but in some ways it seems like house music got dissected because now there's you know lo-fi yeah hi- hi-fi i just heard about lo-fi the other day one Tri- of my, one of my partners was talking about that yeah and like I'm listening to them, it's like for me, like growing up, you know, I was in the '90s. Yeah. This this was all under house in yeah. some way. Yeah. But now like they're all like split off somehow. Yeah. There's like super subgenres now of stuff that I don't even know. I'm like, what's this sounds? But then I, you know, it's like this sounds like house or this sounds like whatever. I mean, to me, there's no. It's just the same. Like it, it all these subgenres, and it's still sounding kind of closer to that root of the first. Of how it first sounded, you know. And it's pretty interesting because you like can, lo-fi, like yeah. lo-fi. My friend was talking like, "Oh, lo-fi house," and I was like, "What the hell is that?" He's like, "Well, it's, it's like more grimy house." And I'm like, "So like early Chicago house because they didn't have like the proper equipment, you know? Like, what do you mean?" So now they're putting, they have all this modern equipment, but then they prefer to make it sound dirty. I don't, I don't get it, you know. <laughs> you feel like know. there was like. Uh... I mean, if it's going to sound dirty, it's going to sound dirty. Like, it, it, you can make them... Because the machines, they're, they're just machines. So, whatever is going to come out is coming in through you. So, you can make it sound like that without having to put effects on there, you know? Mm. You could give it that dirty sound and just... By the way of doing it, it's kind of now it's, like, very tailor-made to sound like that. It's kind of weird. Because it does... They all had cracks and pops over it. And I'm like, this isn't... Like, if... Okay, fine. If you found a record that's dirty and you sample it and it has cracks and pops, and fine, you know? That sounds raw but if you're like it's something crisp and then you're adding that on top of it it's kind of kind of weird to me hmm. to <laughs> to make it sound like that i don't know in some ways and it's an analogy it's a lot like there's f- uh filming with film and there's with digital cameras yeah and what you're telling me is that people who sometimes they would make a movie with a digital camera but try to give it that film look yeah instead of just using film yeah exactly interesting you're like why i mean just are you loyal to a certain brand of like machines? Um, no, I mean I pretty much use anything that I can get my hands on. You know, I can. Is there such a thing? I just you know threw it out there. I, I don't no, know. There, there are I mean, certain there is, brands that yeah, people. There's, there's different. Um, uh, they call them. Uh, uh, what do they call them? They call them uh, DAWs systems. So it's like digital audio workstations. It's like a music program like Reason or Ableton or Pro Tools. It's uh, for arrangements and stuff like that, too. It's like basically like a digital studio on your computer through a program, hmm. you know. Um, but I, I, I mostly use Reason, and I'm getting into Ableton. Ableton, so um, it's just whatever works for you, I guess, hmm. for, for, for recording and stuff. For DJing, it's, you know, it's always just like CDJs or turntables. So Pioneers, yeah. you mentioned earlier that in some ways it's all digital. Does that mean that mm-hmm. the use of the turntable is no longer really needed or even used? It just de- it just depends on what, what what your preference is. Um, when I when I stopped DJing with vinyl, I kind of um, kept the techniques at home and just used them for listening and sampling and stuff like that. And I went all um, into CDs, CDJs, so basically CD turntables. I don't hmm. know if you've ever seen them. No. Um, it's just it's like it looks like a a turntable, but it um it has like a jog wheel and it has a CD slot. So I switched over to that, and when I since I, I since, like I was telling you, I caught the tail end of those parties at the same time. 
um, the way you're playing music and buying music was changing. It was going from from all vinyl going to record stores to online record stores mm-hmm. where you would listen to the songs on snippets online and then they would send you the vinyl when you would order them. Mm. And um, so But now I, they're downloads, right? So now I went to downloads. So I, so I kind of felt like I was a little bit ahead on that wave because I was already... You know, DJs were used to going to the record store and stuff. Hmm. And um, I was already buying music online. I was already sitting on my computer like, oh, this is cool. Like, you don't even have to go to the record store. You know, being like a millennial kid already, like, yeah, this is this is, this is is way better than doing that. Not knowing that I would long for that now, that experience to go back and hmm. to catch that vibe. But it, it, it totally changed um, on why... why um, so, yeah, so I went from... From buying records, playing records, to just playing CDs and downloads and stuff. And then eventually record stores started closing. Um, more online shops started popping up. Mm-hmm. Digital download sites. So, you know, it kind of switched from then. And then eventually, now, I, I was still carrying CDs up until not too long ago. And I was going to tell my cousin, he had already made the switch. J-Funk, he was already going for on all usb sticks because now they don't have a lot of them first it was just cds and then they added the usb port and then it became now they don't even have the slot now it's just usbs you just bring your your drives and and i was carrying cds with me and he was like one day you're not gonna you're not even gonna remember them you're just gonna bring your sticks and sure enough i went to a gig and i forgot my cds and i just had my sticks so do you feel that's good for for djing or do you feel that kind of takes away a bit of the magic it takes away a lot of the magic. Um, there was something about you carrying your bag or you bringing your friends, carrying your bags with you and walking in. It was more like of an experience, you know? It was like a like communal that's the experience. D- that's the DJ right there, you know? Yeah. Like Even being able to sneak in with the DJ, you're not old enough just by carrying his bag in. You can't do that these days, you know? Right. Like, it was just a vibe. It was a different vibe. You know? And then he sets up his bag and he's like going through his records. What am I going to play first? And it was just cool. It was, that's what attracted me to DJing was that, that whole vibe. Mm-hmm. Playing, putting the record on, cleaning it, setting it up. You know, just the whole motion. Uh, that record's not cool. Going back, I'm running out of time. You're just like flipping through records. See him up there like, wow, what is he going to play next? And just dropping it. You know, it's different now. You're kind of just like plugged in you have your usbs in there boom 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 you don't have to turn your back it's cool i mean i I like it do you feel because of that more djs especially the ones getting more popular in some ways have to put up with a performance as well because i'm looking at a lot of these you know house raves and the djs you know they 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 got to dress up as you know like 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 they're performing themselves and yeah and they have to have these visuals yeah so in some ways that to compensate um no uh to me to me digital was supposed to like help you be more creative and 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 i feel like all this technology has kind of helped people not become as or not be as creative because i feel like they have all this technology but they still mix like they're mixing on turntables and i'm like you have all this technology why aren't you using it for what it's used for if not, why are you using it? You know, um, but no, I think that I think that 
because it, it became more of, about the show than the actual mix and the actual like vibe and stuff it became more of about like look at me i'm up here djing with this big old giant mask yeah like daft punk was doing it right that was cool like i always thought that was cool because that would happen while people would dj too they would wear um gas masks or they would wear like jason mask and i don't know if i don't know if it where it started but i know daft punk was doing it and it was kind of cool because it it was it would focus on the music you would focus more on the music and what instead of what the person what he looked like you know hmm. it was it was more mysterious back then i feel like there was a sense of mystery there was no internet or it was just coming out the internet like i said everything was on vinyl so there was more like you would just see names and artwork hmm. and maybe in the magazine you'd be like oh that's what that guy looked like or when they would come to dj in the town you're like oh that's daft punk or whatever or because before they weren't wearing masks and then I guess it kind of became part of their thing because they just wanted the music to shine through right. so I thought that was intriguing I think that's what DJs still try to do but now it's more of a look at me than uh, forget about what I look like you know because now it's all image it's all image right either you have a big marshmallow all, head or, or, you're right. all, or you're like some like playboy DJ all you know <laughs> all sexy on stage <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We're well, reaching the end here. Right on. Uh, let's plug away. Where can people check out your stuff? Um, you can check it out on Mixcloud under Groovesque. Everything's under Groovesque. Everything's that we do is under Groovesque. So How'd make, you come up with the name Groovesque? So Groovesque, I think I was just chilling. Because you got there. an accent in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of is it part of the French influence you had? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. But I found out that the accent's backwards, so I kind of <laughs> I was like. Well, I was sounding it out as a like the esque in Spanish. Yeah. Like the eh. Uh huh. So I guess it's kind of like a Spanglish French word. Okay. And it's just, and I always tell people it's just French for groovy. You groovy. Know? But it's just um, and picturesque, grotesque. It's very like descriptive. So like, this is the groove. You know, house music's all based on grooves and stuff like that. So that's where that comes from. Um, so everything's under grooveesque on. Uh, we have a big cartel. Um, it's Grooves dot big cartel dot com. Uh, Facebook is Grooveesque nineteen eighty five. Uh, Instagram's Grooveesque. Mixcloud's Grooveesque. Soundcloud's Grooveesque. Everything's Grooveesque. That's what I was telling you earlier when I was trying to define it. I don't think it could be defined. I think it's just like a vibe that I'm trying to go for. Hmm. We're, we're like it's it's an outlet for us to to DJ promote, put music out. Um, network with people it's an art thing it's just like a vibe you know we, we do t-shirts and you know it's like very diy punk rock you know style like just pushing house music what i always say grovesque is it's um our our, our mottos um uh, from the roots to the future so we're paying homage to the roots and we're trying to keep it as true to the original sound and 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 trying to be open-minded and uh, bring it into the future and not be so close-minded and kind of be open to what's new but still keep that sense of you know originality classic um you know roots so yeah so that's so grovesque is many things man it's just a vibe Mm. just a vibe that's what i tell people it's like it can't i can't be defined i've been trying to define it and i can't because because it's many things you know yeah, I always tell people it's a it's a lifestyle. It's it's a, it's a house music's a lifestyle. You know, people live it and breathe it. They get they get up, they bump house, 
they go to work, they bump house, they bump house at work on their headphones when they're, you know, doing their thing. I have a theory, and, and I'd like to have your take on it, why electronic music grew exponentially and how, you know, different generations are really getting into it. Hmm. I feel in some ways, talking about roots, is in some way the house music is very related to the primitive drum beats in Africa in some way. Uh-huh. Where you got that rhythmic, constant, you know, like, you know, I can't do it now. But you know what yeah. I'm talking about? That like, has that beat. Mm-hmm. That's, like, repetitive and constant. Yeah. Right? And I think it, there's something about that that, I think, to, like, hits people to the very core. And I think it's something ancestral. Yeah. Does that totally. make sense to you? Oh, totally. Yeah. Because, you know, like, back in the day, even to, to this time in, in, the, in some places where, you know... Uh, drum beats were used for war they were used yeah. for celebrations they were used for a variety of things and to the point of like it's, it became a sort of meditation I agree yeah it's it's a sense of release it's a sense to you know the house music has that four to the floor kick that just kicks you in, in the um in the chest you know it just hits you right in the chest and then the, the snare hits you right in the back so it's just like uplifting your body it's called that's the jack that's called jacking it's, it's like the the root of house is the jack. It's just very driving, uplifting. It's lifting your body. You have your hands in the air. You're, 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 put, you're, you know, you're getting that energy. You're becoming a, an antenna almost. Yeah. You know, like a spirit. It's like a spiritual. They say house music's a spiritual thing. Right. It's a body thing. It's a soul thing. It, not everyone understands house music. You know, it's kind of like. Well, it's cool vibe. I, th- that, I, I think to really enjoy, it, and it's a community thing. You in know? some way, you have to kind of let it go. Like just let go. Yeah. And go with the flow. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, some of the reasons why uh, a lot of people take a lot of psychedelics with it. Because uh, yeah, it, it helps them re- kind of release and make you part of this communal experience. Yeah. I mean, it will make you feel like that just being just on the sober tip. It'll make you feel... Uh, if, if, if you... No, uh, like, like I said, not everyone understands house music. It's like something that comes from within and it kind of just like if it if it pulls you in and draws you then it pulls you in and draws you some people don't understand it at all like how do you listen to this it's so repetitive it's so banging some people are like this gets me through like life you know this is life for me like i said you bump it all day it's it's a it's a way of life Hmm. it's more than just um club music to some people it's 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 like hip-hop it's it's part of every day you know, you're a house head. House heads, like, I'm hardcore about house music. It's like a punk. It's like being punk. Punk rock. Hmm. You know, you live the punk rock lifestyle. You live the house music life. The house music You work, music you work all week, and then you go and you party all weekend. And mm-hmm. then you do it again. And it kind of coincides with each other, you know. You, you need that release. You give people that release while you're DJing or you're on the dance floor. You get that release. Um, the music helps you take you there. So it's just like a whole big cycle you know cool all um, right prince prince eddie p thank you for coming yes, sir thank you so much appreciate it we good you okay i'm good man yeah all i was right. a little nervous but i think i was i think i did pretty good <laughs> yeah, i think so too all right man thank you for coming right on thank you Once again, check out his music on the Mixcloud and Soundcloud platforms. Just search for Groovesque. It is well worth your time. 
that's it for this week have a great one take care hope all goes well for all of you and next week we have the 150 episode of the jms podcast which will mark the very end of the third season not the end of the podcast don't get it twisted now it's just i'll be going on a little break so look forward to the last episode i have a great guest he's actually a a university professor so that's also a first first time i had a, a professor here and i'm looking forward to it already so stay tuned take care and sayonara